0: Good morning and welcome to our morning service. Good to see you folks here today. Welcome visitors with us as well. And uh, as I mentioned visitors, there are a few cards, hopefully, in the the pews there for you. And uh, if you wouldn't mind just to fill out a card, uh, just to know uh, that you were here with us this morning, it's good for our records as well. But we do welcome you, we welcome those who are joining us on Zoom as well, and pray that this this time together, this time of fellowship, might be a blessing for all of us. Indeed, we're glad to have uh, Kirk Sinclair with us this morning. We're going to ask Kirk now to come and uh, read the scripture for this morning and lead us in prayer, if you would. Thank you, Rael. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Now, you might remember the last hymn we, we just sang, and the last verse began with no condemnation. Well, we're going to begin with the same phrase here. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. cannot please God. Verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And as I look around this morning, I'm very thankful because on Thursday, we prayed that, that we would see some people come, different people and uh, new people. And, uh, and I'm just rejoicing in my heart because you're here. And I'm very thankful that you're here. There's no place I would rather be this morning. Let's pray. Father, with great joy, we acknowledge the finished work of the Lord Jesus on the cross and the fact that we're here trusting in you and that we have a different life, being different people from the people that our mothers brought into the world. We rejoice. Father, we know that you have a plan of redemption for people, that your desire is to have a relationship with the people of your creation. And so this morning, Lord, as we open your word and, uh, and and between times of singing our hymns of praise and thanksgiving, we pray, Lord, that our, our hearts will be focused on glorifying the God who died to save us. We thank you for the gift of eternal life in Christ. And indeed, we pray in his name this morning. And also, Father, we, we know that the ministry of your Holy Spirit is to each person's heart. And even now, Lord, we pray that, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to the hearts of those who are here. Lord, we pray that you might find room in the hearts of all to take in and to lay to, to heart and to apply to their lives all that they learn today in the, in the words of this message. Father, apply it to their hearts. May the Holy Spirit transform lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, brother, Lord, bless as you open the word to us this morning. I don't know if you caught that but my eyes looked this way quickly to check with our tech department (laughs) and uh, looks like we'll be able to uh, but I think even if zoom fails we have the the report in-house here or the uh, presentation it's uh, it gives me great joy to come this morning and to talk about God's plan to defeat sin because God's done this in my own life and so Having gone through it, and there are many here who have gone through it and are going through it now, uh, we have a common testimony. And so uh, it's uh, the grace and compassion of our God who has performed this work and continues to perform this work in our hearts. And you'll find this morning, whether you're an unbeliever or or a believer, a mature believer or one that's fairly new, you'll find that God's work of eradicating sin in, in the lives and the hearts of, of men is, is what uh, what God does. And that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. As we learn and grow, he's removing sin in our life. But I'm just going to jump right into to this. I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all, but men enter this world as sinners without excuse. And we're, we are learning this now in Romans chapter 1, uh, um, we've we've moved on of course but but uh, Paul introduces that subject by using general revelation and the purpose of that is to indicate to the world that god's present and that god is in control we are part of this great creation uh, of the world and and all things as we read about in genesis chapter 1 and and we see when we look out any window of course that we're surrounded by evidence of god our maker and uh, and most reject uh this testimony of God, they, they, uh, they, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And we, we, we know that the world, and we can trust because the Bible tells us that the world is aware of God, but the unbelieving world does not believe in God because they suppress that knowledge. And it takes effort to suppress that knowledge, but they know. Deep down, they know. And I've got the reference there, Romans 1, 18 to 20. I should probably read that for you. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And that's you and me too. We're without excuse if we don't call upon God and trust in God
1: because he's given the evidence of creation and we're part of that creation. But God has people in this world and when they're born and they grow,
0: they're not God's people right away, but eventually his sheep hear his voice and they respond to it. John 10.27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And they come, believing. God's redemptive plan removes transgressions as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103.12 tells us that. How far is that? That's a long way. That's a long way. But only God can put it in those terms, because when God removes sin, He does it so absolutely and completely that no trace of it remains. And we're going to look especially at the way that God removes sin from our lives. He does it in three stages. First, he removes the penalty of sin, and that's justifying grace that takes care of that. And then by his sanctifying grace, he removes the power of sin from the lives of his people. And then lastly, and what we're all looking forward to, is to the eternal state where we eventually go to be with the Lord. And through what I call glorifying grace, he removes even the presence of sin. And so this is what we have to look forward to. This is the epitome of God's plan for his people, is that eventually he will take us into his presence forever. And that's what we look forward to removing the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. First of all, the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Well, plainly enough, the penalty of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. If you continue in a course of unbelief, then when you die, you get paid your wages. For that unbelief. And that unbelief is sin. And the wages is death. Eternal death. In a place where, that God created for Satan and his minions for eternity. Now all men are guilty and they're without excuse. We already mentioned this when we look quickly at Romans chapter 1. For the wages of sin is, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And that's kind of the universal starting point of men. There are no innocent men among us. There are men that are, that are moral and good, but it's all relative. And everyone has sinned. There is no one who can hide behind
1: uh, a life that they claim is sinless. So we have a law, and God gave us the law in the Ten Commandments. and uh,
0: But we can't obey them. And he wants all men to understand this. And what the purpose of the law is, is to frustrate us so that we'll try to obey and then we'll fail. And after we try again, and maybe, maybe try several times and fail, then
1: we'll come to the Lord and we'll humble ourselves, which is exactly what he wants us to do. Just as we are, God sent his son to die as a
0: man. Just as we're born under the law and we're born of of our mothers, the Lord Jesus was born under the law and he was born of of Mary. And he became a man, capital M, a special man. And he lived obedient to the law. Romans chapter 5 tells us that, that Adam was the disobedient son who failed in the Garden of Eden and brought all of us down with him in the fall. But every day in our, of our lives, we, we also sin. And so we're, we're guilty of the same thing. But the same chapter tells us that the Lord Jesus is God's obedient son. He lived his life and he died without breaking any of the law. So he, what he brought was the righteous requirement of the law. So even though Jesus was innocent, he died voluntarily as if he was a sinner. And God treated him as a sinner. And if you look at Isaiah 53, you'll read there that it pleased God to bruise him. Why? Because he was paying the price for our sin, for the sake of his people. Now, we we look at the Bible and we look at one specific verse as encapsulating the entire plan of God. And that verse is John 3.16, right? I'm going to read it because like, I told you before, sometimes I start with one version, I end up with a different version of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if we're trusting in Christ, Christ, then God credits Christ's righteousness to our account, and this is, this is how he's able to be just and justifier of those who believe. Romans three twenty one and 22 says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. So we can have a righteousness that comes from obeying the law, but we can't because we can't obey the law. So what God has provided is a foreign righteousness for us because we don't have the righteousness to meet the, the need of the law. God provided Christ. Christ lived according to the law. He, uh, he was obedient to the law. And by faith, we possess the righteousness of Christ like a robe. And we'll look at a few verses here that I think really illustrate this well. The robe is a beautiful picture of the righteousness of Christ that is put on by faith. Let me let me share with you Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself, with her jewels. We possess that righteousness by faith. It's a gift to us. Not like the wages of sin is death. Those, those are wages, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Zechariah 3 4 says, Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And this is Joshua, the high priest. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. And I will clothe you with rich robes. And so here, the picture of righteousness as a garment, a garment that is worn, and it hides who we are underneath it. And, and so the picture has value there. And I won't go into that in more detail until it might be a week or two in the adult class where
1: we get into Revelation 3.20 and the verses that follow there. But all of this is related. So for those who believe the penalty of sin, which is what
0: we're talking about here, God removing sin from us, first the penalty. Sin's penalty has fallen, not on us, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. He was our substitute. And so instead of us suffering individually for our own sin and then going to a lost eternity, God has provided for his people. He wants to have a relationship with us. And that's why so many people are, They read the Bible. They they consider the claims of Christ. They understand that God has provided a means of forgiveness of sin. And so they call upon the name of the Lord, and his righteousness is applied to us by faith. Now, when Jesus died, he also rose from the dead three days later. And that's what Easter is all about. It's about the resurrection, the death and resurrection. And uh, this resurrection, in part, indicated to all of us that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. And so he has propitiated or he has uh, appeased God. He has also expiated the, the requirement of the law because he lived perfectly righteously, something that we could never do. Now, we can't do that. But if we trust in Christ who has done that for us, then that righteousness is applied to us. That's the simple gospel message. Maybe it's, maybe I'm putting it in a way that is just a little bit different here. The Lord Jesus walked in our footsteps. He was born under the law, yet as God's obedient son, he met the righteous requirement of the law. And now if we're trusting in him, then we meet the righteous requirement of the law through Christ. It's applied to us. So in God's eyes, those of faith possess
1: the very righteousness of Christ. And God is pleased to welcome those of faith
0: to, to, uh, to heaven for eternity. He's happy to do this. He has made a, a plan for us. Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant prophecy. It talks about the stripes that Jesus took for us. It talks about the Lord Jesus being forsaken on the cross. and It, it talks about suffering toward an end. And, and God was pleased to bruise him, and the end is that he invites those who are trusting in him to be part of his family forever. And so that's why God did it. Rejoice, because God's justifying grace takes away the penalty of our sin. We are forgiven. Now, when I say justifying grace, I just mean that God has declared us not guilty. And so when we're declared not guilty, nothing actually changes, but legally... We're declared not guilty. As far as the actual changes go, that's in our next section. So the first thing that God does is take away the penalty for our sin by declaring us not guilty. How can he do that? Well, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. So the law is satisfied. If you're trusting in Christ, the law cannot come after you. The law can make no claim on you. Your salvation is safe. In him. All right, removing the power of sin. So if you've trusted in Christ, then you begin a life of, of a, a relationship with God. Many people think, well, that's the end. Once you believe in, in Christ, isn't, isn't that it? Well, no, it's just the beginning because now God takes the life of a believer and He works every day in the life of a believer to transform their hearts. Now, remember, they're not the same as the people that they were born as, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But that new believer is confused, and he's frustrated. And it's kind of like a birthday. A birthday comes and goes, but I don't feel any different. And now a believer who was yesterday was not believing, now he's believing. I don't feel any different. Well, he's frustrated because sinful habits remain in his life. Now we believe, but now we continue to sin because, you know, for 30 years or however long you've been on the earth, you've, you've developed some bad habits. But that's okay. God deals with that. God understands that. God understands that you were born a worldly man or woman, and he understands that what he needs to do to get, take away those sinful habits. And, and we, uh, we understand that, that uh, good intentions in our life are often not accompanied by righteous living. We want to live righteously for God who died for us. And we don't, and we fail. And so he sees this, and, and he understands this. And so God
1: uses his word to, uh, to renovate our lives. Renew, renew. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world,
0: but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Christian life is a life of transformation. We begin as worldly people who are all wrapped up with the physical world. And we want to go out for possessions and we want to do the things the world does. And then we hear the voice of God and God calls us out from that confusing worldly uh, condition that we were found in. And now his Holy spirit is working, sanctifying us, removing sin in our lives. And he uses the word to do it. And as we read the word and as it permeates our hearts, we begin to see changes Usually, the first thing that happens in a new believer is their their speech is cleaned up. They they don't swear and curse as much. You know, this is the evidence of of the Lord working in their hearts. We're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, by His justifying grace, God has removed the penalty of sin, and He has declared us not guilty. But this this renewal process does not uh, change our actual habits. Uh, This renewal starts, let me see if I got that right. Our actual habits change when sanctifying grace is applied to us, when we spend time with the Lord. And I hope that's what what you're getting out of this slide. Once we're declared not guilty, then our habits are changed over time, as we spend time in the word, as we go to church, as we listen to messages and as we uh, read and pray and as we uh, subject ourselves to the ministry of others as we interact in God's community. God is maturing us and he is blessing us to learn and grow under the Holy Spirit's
1: teaching. The Holy Spirit is in charge of our spiritual education. So spending time with the Lord
0: involves reading his word, calling upon him in prayer, and making righteous choices. And this is, uh, this is the subject of our book for the Tuesday night Bible, stu- or, uh, Bible study group, book study group, and uh, it's called Habits of Grace. And, and the Christian life should have in it uh, proper habits that, that enable us to learn and grow, to learn our Bibles, to be biblically literate, to understand all about God and what he expects of us and to find joy in the Christian life. It's important for us to know what pleases God, because then we can go ahead and do it, right? Sure. But we are frustrated because we see that our actions don't match what we believe. And we have to be patient, because sanctification is a lifelong process. God works in us to, to produce those those changes. I don't want to get too far ahead. Romans 7, 15-20. This is Paul exercising... Uh, expressing the frustration that he finds because there's a conflict within him let me read it Romans 7:15 to 20 for what I am doing I do not understand for what I will to do that I do not practice but what I hate that I do if then I do what I do not want to do I agree with the law that it is good verse 17 but now it is no longer I who do it but the sin but sin that dwells in me For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who, who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, that passage is difficult to read because doing and not doing, doing what he doesn't want to do and not doing what he wants to do. and He wants to please God. This is the testimony of a man who is conflicted. And if you're trusting in the Lord this morning, you're going to be struggling with that remnant of sin that still lives in your heart and still wants to take you away from the things of God. And so in some sense, we have the same struggle as Paul does. And in some sense, we kind of, can see where his frustration comes from. He wants to please God, and yet he can't. But rejoice, because God's sanctifying grace continues to work in us to take away the power of sin and set us free. Now, the word that I haven't really used in this discussion, particularly when I, when I talk about the uh, power of sin, is the word dominion. Because when we become believers... We are under sin's dominion, and that dominion is taken away. But because we're creatures of habit, we still sin, and we're still obedient to sin. But it has no power over us. It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit like the soldiers that, that uh, in the 50s were discovered in the jungles. They still thought World War II was on because no one, no one had uh, notified them that it, it's over. But sin no longer has dominion over us if we're trusting in Christ. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that when we look at our actions. But God is sanctifying, God is transforming, God is renewing. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And this is sanctifying grace that makes these changes in us. And we're going through that school now for trusting in God. Our day-to-day life is full of these kinds of lessons. What does God use to improve us in character? He gives us adversity. He brings us through situations. And then he gives us the means to overcome. And when we come to God, asking God for help to get through those things, that's exactly what he wants us to do. Because then he will give us what we need. And then we will take our steps, one step at a time. Okay, we've through, through justifying grace, God has removed the penalty of sin. A person is a believer. He starts off the, uh, the Christian life. He has struggles because he's still dealing with the sin habit. But by God's sanctifying grace, God has removed the power of sin in his life. And as long as we're living, we're being sanctified. As long as we're living, we're still sinning, but we're sinning less than we did before. We should be growing in our Christian life. An absence of growth would make me question whether life is there at all. So our life is full of change and improvement. God is, we're, we're at God's university now, and the Holy Spirit is bringing us through the kinds of training situations that we need because God's got a plan for all of us. Removing the presence of sin. And so God's people go through life, learning, growing, and being Transformed. And in all of life's situations, in season and out of season, God gives us just what we need to become Christ-like. And that is our goal. God teaches us what righteousness is. And really what it is, the short version, is it's being like God. God, by his own behavior, sets the standard for our righteousness. And that's that's his goal, is to, to make us actually righteous, to introduce to us righteous habits so that we're not the same as the people that we used to be. So do you see how God works? God works first by declaring us not guilty by the blood of Christ. And then the day after we're saved, he begins this process of sanctifying us day by day, removing the power of sin. Now we're free to, to not continue to sin, We're no longer under sin's dominion. But someday, we'll leave this world. And at the end of life, um, we face the judgment. Hebrews 9.27, As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this,
1: the judgment. And the judgment is, is, uh, was described in Matthew 25 in agrarian
0: terms, I guess, or in terms of uh, that people who, who raise livestock would understand. And what a farmer typically does is he'll separate the sheep and the goats for one reason or another. And this is what God does uh, when, uh, during, on the day of judgment. He'll separate the sheep from the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. God always referred to his people as sheep, so the goats would be the unbelievers. And they're they're separated for the purpose of sending them to a different destination. So judgment determines our final home, where each one will spend eternity. Revelation 22, 14 and 15 puts it this way, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. And so we see that these these various symptoms are, they characterize the world. The world is made up of sinful people. And if, we're, if we claim to be trusting in Christ, then we should be fundamentally different. And it should look that way. The things that we love, the things that we crave, the things that we do, all should testify to an unbelieving world that we're trusting in Christ. And... We don't have the same worldview that they do. We're not not worried about the same things that they are. We're worried about living our lives righteously to please God.
1: We're worried about things that affect eternity. So God's people are welcomed into God's presence forever.
0: We're part of God's family now by faith. And so he welcomes us and we enter into the joy of the Lord. Matthew 25:21. his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter
1: into the joy of your Lord. And so God's people enter into their eternal home where there is no trace of sin
0: or anything which defiles. And it's hard for us to picture heaven because unlike the song, heaven is not a place on earth. It's it's a place that is different from the world. And so God has described it in terms that we can understand, but perhaps uh, we'll, we'll see that it's Maybe different from what we think. Eventually, we'll we'll find out. But I can offer a few verses here that describe it, that we can take, and I think they're very understandable. uh, But uh, we'll see that it is different. Revelation 21, 22 to 27 gives us a little bit of a description of the eternal home of the believer. But i talking about heaven now. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is its temple. Verse 23, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. And you notice that the lamb is capitalized there. The lamb of God is its light. Verse 24, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. And in brackets, there shall be no night there. Verse 26, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And lastly, verse 27, but there shall by no means enter it into it or enter it. I'll start again, verse 27, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That verse tells me that we are forever removed from the presence of sin. And so the sin that we can't seem to get away with or from on this, in this world will not, be,
1: will not be around when we go to enter into the presence of God. And lastly, just to to tie it off, we have justifying grace removing sin's penalty,
0: we've got sanctifying grace removing sin's power, and now we've got glorifying grace that takes away forever the presence of sin in the lives of people. I don't know about you, but before I came to faith, I was a sin expert. I knew lots about it. And... God has removed those things from my life. I still struggle with sin. Talk to my wife. And, uh, and it's something that I think we all struggle with. One of the things about coming to faith is that we have to be honest with sin in our own life. We have to be honest about what our heart really craves at the end of the day. But if we trust in the Lord... He will transform our hearts and he will begin that process of removing first the penalty of sin. Okay, so in conclusion, where does this leave us and what shall we package to take from here when we go? Well, God has forever removed sin from the hearts of his people. And when we're together, we should see that in the things that we say, in the things that we do, in the example that we set. But fortunately, God is not satisfied in just removing the penalty of sin. He continues to bless by changing our natures until sin becomes foreign to us. And in his presence in heaven, no trace of sin or its influence will remain. I'm glad that there's a a progression there. On the day that I came to faith, I was amazed that, that God could take away all of the sin that that I had been engaged in and the way that my life was polluted. I could see those things. They frustrated me. And there was no escape for me until until I was able to see, and, and I was able to see the grace of God working on me. And so with gratitude, the hearts of God's people praise him. The penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. And so let the praise of men resound. It should be easy for us to praise God for taking away the sin that that would have condemned us to an eternity in hell. God may be bringing us through struggles and he never told us that the Christian life would be easy. But the reason for the struggles is the sanctifying that, that comes from them. We know that when we go through struggles, we learn lessons and yeah, we, we love the lessons, but we don't like the struggle. Well, there's going to be more struggles. And if, we're in, and if we're God's people, we can see that he's actively doing these things for us to transform us. So God has a reason to do it. We just need to submit. And not to complain when we have little struggles that we know the Lord is using to shape us and to mold us, and to tweak our attitudes. Struggles build character, and, and we, we do nothing but benefit from them. And so our hearts should be uh, filled with gratitude over everything that God brings us through. Do you remember when the, uh, when the apostles were rejoicing that they were arrested for the sake of the gospel message? They were freed from prison, and they rejoiced because they were arrested for it. And some things like that might happen for to us when we're witnessing or we're in different situations. Rejoice. Rejoice. God is building you up. God is shaping you. These things are, are never pleasant, but they, they bring with us uh, so many benefits. And all of those benefits are brought back to the community. And all those benefits that we talked about uh, this morning in the, in the adult class, we'll see them because we minister to each other. I could go on and on. Let's pray. Father, with great joy, we see the evidence of your hand in your, your work of atonement, first in opening eyes and, and in declaring a sinner not guilty. By reason of faith, in, in your propitiating sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived in this world in perfection. And because of his perfection, he is able to take away the sin of all who are trusting in him, O Lord, sanctify us, bless us, help us to mortify sin in our life, to live uprightly with integrity so that we might witness and so the things that we say to people and the life that we live is in perfect agreement. We pray, Lord, that every word we speak,
1: everything that we do would be pleasing in your sight. For Jesus' sake, amen.